I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... I think like half of our companies are in life sciences or health tech. That has that percentage has increased a lot over the last three years. The pandemic and being here in the DMV, just stimulating tons of companies and ideas that want to help. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. Today, we're joined by an old friend of the show. We've got some fresh takes together. It's Tian Wang. Tian is the CEO of Opus 8 and of Connectpreneur. And I got to tell you, in a short list of the kind of people in Washington and the DMV who gather together capital, startups, innovation, and entrepreneurs, he's in a very, very short list. We talk about the capital infusion that public-private partnerships from our federal and state governments are putting together. And perhaps as importantly, we talk about the educational institutions around the DMV, how many there are, how productive they are, and the kind of raw material and frankly sophisticated material they put out, not just students, but training, mentorship, etc. It's a wide-ranging discussion. Here's our conversation. Tian, thanks for thanks for being on the show today. Always a pleasure. Just for the listeners, Tian and I go back uh, a long way, but mostly in our interaction, it's always been exciting for me as an observer and sometimes participant, um, particularly because the name of the show is What's Working in Washington, to see your commitment to not just really the DMV, you know, District, Maryland, Virginia, but really to the educational institutions that are driving a lot of the investment and innovation and frankly, the raw material of graduates to join the companies here. Now, I think we first interacted at the University of Maryland, but walk our listeners through the other educational institutions that you have either direct or passing or an interest in, because there's so many here and you've made a difference in all of them. Yeah, no, it's been a great pleasure. I mean, you and I met at uh, University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Uh, you were the chair of the board. I was on your board and uh, also an entrepreneur in residence for about six or seven years. And then I went over to I took a year off when Asher Epstein, who's our mutual friend, who was the managing director, left. And I joined. I just took a year off. And then Jeff Reed over at Georgetown called me and said, hey, we're we're trying to get more EIRs. Are you interested? And I really missed being with the students and the the professors and the, the the faculty and and some of the community. So I I said yes, and that was like eleven years ago. But yeah, over the years we've worked with George Mason. We just uh, worked with them on their Accelerate twenty twenty three conference. We're doing stuff with their business school, Johns Hopkins, their Cary Business School up in Baltimore is a partner of ours for our Connectpreneur events. George Washington University, we do two events a year with them, and uh, AU we hire a lot of their interns. So thank you, Tom Cullen. But uh... <laughs> so, so those are all the stations of the cross. Uh, it seems like, um, yep. wow. Howard Hopkins. and Catholic are on our radar, though. We are talking Good. to them, working with them, but we we haven't really done anything official. Fabulous. Well, Howard, uh, obviously, uh, because of Vice President Kamala Harris has, has raised its. I mean, for all the right reasons, has raised its profile as an HBCU, but also just as a as a regional university. Um, but yeah, the so. Are there any patterns that you see? Your exposure has been so broad, but at the same time so deep as you get into uh, the entrepreneurial arena at the business school, either graduate or undergraduate. Are there patterns? And this, by the way, this question may have a no to it, uh, Tian, but are there patterns you're seeing in higher ed on how good or maybe not so good or how their entrepreneurial kind of training has migrated over the years? 
Yeah. By the way, I and Kadamian, Dr. Kadamian will shoot me if I don't mention universities of Shady Grove, which is a partner of Connectpreneur also. And they have an awesome equity incubator uh, that some of our companies have come out of. But, um, you know, I think it depends on the strengths to answer your question uh, of the university themselves. You know, yeah. so um, GW has a strong international presence, international focus. Um, for example, I'm just using that as an example. University of Maryland has strong computer sciences. It's got basically it's a research institute. Um, yep. We're seeing some things coming out of there in the quantum computing world. Um, obviously, you know that the Oculus guys came out of there, uh, the engineering school. So I think, yeah. you know, it depends on the university's various strengths. Georgetown has entrepreneurs from all different in different kinds of industries. It's fascinating. Um but, you know, we're there to support as best as we can, usually in the form of um, mentorship and capital, like yeah. they're looking for ideas on how to structure their offerings. How do I get off the ground with money? You know, and then some strategic advice we can help them with as well. The other thing that I think has been interesting, at least for me to see, and maybe you'll disagree, is as these incubators, accelerators and mentorship programs have really locked in. At a lot of these institutions and particularly the business schools, it seems like a lot of comp a lot of entrepreneurs have gotten very good at presentations. You know, they all know the, the map of TAM and all the stuff they say. And sometimes I find at least that it hides the fact that it's not a great idea, but it looks so slick because they've got they've gotten good at the presentations. Is that something you agree with or you, you don't see that? No, I think you're right. I think the sizzle has exceeded steak a little bit. And that's nice. Because, yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good because, one. Yeah, there's still, you know, there, that's because the the mentorship is so good. There's so many wonderful yeah. mentors, uh, including yourself and Jonathan and others uh, who have just done a great, a great job. And it's almost like we're coalescing around a, a standard format for an executive summary and for a deck right. or short pitch. And you're seeing that um, these companies are extremely well prepared. They rehearse a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a thing. So then the investor has to do their diligence and dig below. They got to look at the CVs of the, the team. They want to look at the exits of the founder in the past. They want to look at the technology itself, their diligence and customers and product market fit now. So it's actually a good thing because now it's getting investors have to go down a few level, levels to decide if it's worth investing in or not. Well, are you seeing similar sophistication in the investor group because i know connectpreneur and let's let's stop on that for a second and you can give the you can give the history and maybe kind of where it is today connectpreneur you engage so many uh different uh audiences into your gatherings you uh, service people from the finance and accounting and law uh to actual investors be they seed uh, uh, actual investment firms that are going to do larger than seed are you seeing sophistication in seed investors where they're they know the questions to ask or is there still some learning to go there or is it all over the map i think it's well it's pretty much all over the map but i'm seeing progress being made by your you know 20 years ago an angel investor um like you or i might like the entrepreneur they might do some very loose diligence and then stroke a check because we really want to back the jockey but yeah. now i think that um there's more sophistication. I think you're seeing A rounds are getting bigger. So that means that your pre-A rounds are bigger, which means that your seed rounds are bigger. So bigger equals, you know, bigger checks being written by people that have to be a little more sophisticated. Yeah. But if back in the day, 20 years ago, you know, a 10, 15, 20,000 hour check was very significant. Today, that's yeah. considered yeah. very small, you know? Yeah. So maybe a person writing smaller checks is less diligent than someone who's writing 
you know, a hundred to 250 minimum, like a super angel type investor? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. We're, generally speaking, the tide is rising. Yes. Lifting all boats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the tide to your point, I mean, I, I think some of these rounds, although we can talk about the compression of valuation, as they call it these days, mm -hmm. but the but the some of these rounds were just eye popping that they were calling, you know, seed or pre-seed. I was like, dude, that was an A round uh, not that long ago. Right. Uh, and those listening, you know, A, it, venture funding uh, 101 is, you know, the A, B, C, uh, hence the alphabet, are growing size of rounds and, and growing valuations of the company. But for the for the super invest, super seed investors, super angels that you're attracting to Connectpreneur, your themes in Connectpreneur, the kinds of companies you're seeing, tend to center around a few uh, a few silos. What are those silos, and what are some trends you're seeing? I think like half of our companies are in life sciences or health tech. That has that percentage has increased a lot over the last three years. The pandemic and being here in the DMV, just stimulating tons of companies and ideas that want to help you know, cure diseases and, and change the world. So, you know, we're all, we're very much in favor of that. We love life sciences. Some of the companies that we, that have presented are, and some of our clients are just, um, I mean, they're doing some unthinkable things really yeah. in a good way, you know, yeah, in a good way, yeah, in right. a great way. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be, they are already saving lives and having huge impacts. And I just kind of like the double bottom line impact of that piece. And then obviously, you know, We've expanded beyond just the DMV and the Mid-Atlantic. Now we are a national platform. So we have all kinds of companies, cybersecurity, you know, telecommunications, um, clean tech, fin a lot of fintech companies and prop te property technology companies. So basically across the board. Um, but I will say that most of it is B2B yeah, as opposed to B2C. So yeah. I know there are some companies i think the era up in new york uh they focus on b2c so we're yeah. not a b2c shop although we have had b2c presenters that have done very well but i would just say if you look at our 1100 companies that have presented north north of 90 oh maybe under 10 percent are b2c 1100 companies wow yeah. over the last 12 years and about that's half incredible them, yeah half of them have gotten funded from investors they met through us oh that's fantastic yeah. way to go i didn't know the number that's that's an eye-popping number right there, brother. Way to go. Yeah, if you could talk to FINRA and have them kind of relax their broker-dealer rules, we could get commissions okay. on them. Let me ask about some other trends. You said B2B, business to business, relatively modest amount of B2C. You mm -hmm. didn't say B2G, business to government. Is that something you have also uh, played in? Yes, there's a lot of B2G. I mean, especially being here in the DMV, now we're seeing funds coming out doing um, – yeah, specifically investing in B2G companies or dual use companies. So yeah. Iron Gate is a client of ours. They just closed a $25 million fund. They, fund of funds and also direct investors in uh, B2G and also dual use. And um, they're now raising $75 million second fund because they wow. closed one a few months ago. So that's an example. But there's a whole ecosystem here in the D.C. region that have... Um, you know, because because here we kind of understand government, you know, right. So within 50 miles, 100 miles of the Beltway, you know, people have a kind of a feel for it. Right. Yeah. So, yes. No, we've had a lot of B2G companies present. And um, well, it's it, it, people forget or maybe I guess many, many citizens don't forget that it's a four trillion dollar customer. Right. So our, our federal government will spend four trillion dollars of our of our tax dollars, although a lot of it obviously is, is set in stone, but the, the amount of innovation, and, and let's touch on that. I, I know you and I have had a lot of interaction with um, some of the public-private partnership structures that the federal government and states have in the DMV um, and other states have set up. 
And these public-private partnerships sometimes really work. You, you know, I had an, a strong exposure to one at the SBA, and mm-hmm. it seems like this administration has just grabbed the bull by the horns pretty aggressively on more dollars into more public-private partnership arenas uh, through Gina Raimondo as Secretary of Commerce, through my old, uh, my old haunts, the, the SBA and SBIC program, stuff like that. Has has that energy trickled down into your Connectpreneur experience, into the companies you're advising, into the funds you're you're talking with? Oh, very much so. A lot of these public-private partnerships and uh, state-funded venture funds, for example, TEDCO in Maryland and Virginia yeah. Investment Partnership in Virginia, very active with Connectpreneur, very active across state lines, although they're supposed to invest, deploy right. capital in their states, but they'll come to our events out of state because we have a lot of people from Maryland to come to Virginia and Virginia to go to Maryland. So, um, and how now dare they, they how dare they cross state lines? <laughs> well, I'm glad to see them do it. But you yeah. know, we've had uh, the Commerce Department has dumped you know nine figures into both groups. Uh, yep. You know, and they have a lot of liquidity right now, so they're looking for great deals. They're trying to fund you know disadvantaged founders, rural founders, military uh, veteran founders. Um, female and people of color founders. And, and, and just, uh, it, I think, you know, it's, it's a great social experiment and I think it's just going to stimulate a lot of innovation by giving capital access to, uh, heretofore, you know, sort of constituencies that didn't have access to money. Yeah, I completely agree. I can, I completely agree. And there's more to discuss on that here on what's working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh with producer Tracy Madigan. Our guest is Tian Wang, founder and CEO of both Opus 8 and Connectpreneur. When we come back, we're going to discuss those two letters that seem to have woven their way into our consciousness, A and I. So stay tuned for that. Here on What's Working in Washington, we still love hearing from our listeners. You have put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, or X as it is now called, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you know someone we should be talking to in our show, let us know. It's all about shining a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in this region. So please, keep those ideas coming. I'm Mark Walsh, your host. I'm joined with Tracy Madigan, our producer. But again, it's Chen Wang as our guest. And guess why? He's fascinating. He's a player. Chen is the CEO of Opus 8 and also the founder and CEO of Connectpreneur. Both of those terms might not be tip of the tongue for you. Maybe Connectpreneur. But the key thing is that Chen is, was, and I think will always be a pillar of the innovation economy, both venture, uh, capital raising, uh, startups, B2B, B2G, all of the uh, letters and alphabets and behavior stuff that matters for the economy of the district, Maryland, Virginia, and beyond. So, Chen, great to have you with us again. Thank you so much, Mark. I haven't been called a player uh, before, so hopefully- Well, I, I didn't even say it right. I was, yeah, player. Well, I should have said it right, which is playa with the A-H, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, just leave it, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But actually, speaking of speaking of players, let, let's dip just a little bit into the local sports scene. Um, our Washington Redskins, now no longer called the Redskins, Washington Commanders, recently changed hands. Uh, I know you and I have interacted with some of the new owners. Uh, I don't know Josh Harris. I don't. You, you don't know Harris, right? No, no, you don't. no I don't. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, lo- local boy made good, uh, as they say. Um, 
but classmate, I guess, in like elementary school with our mutual friend, Mark Ein, and mm -hmm. then uh, local business success, uh, Mitch Rails and some others, I guess Magic Johnson is in, is, is, is in the yeah. investment group. Um, it just seemed like there was a love fest beyond compare when they, when they, when the transition happened, it was amazing to see. Yeah, it really was. I think it's a real shot in the arm for fans here in, in DC. Um, I'm a Giants fan being from New Jersey and, uh, I will thank the previous ownership for uh, making my kids Giants fans. Thank you. <laughs> well, that, that was sort of my point, actually, which yeah. is, I mean, the celebration of goodbye Dan Snyder was so, so emotion filled and kind of vicious. Um, some may say appropriately vicious, but it was just amazing. Like ding dong, the witch is dead moment, huh? Yeah, when I first moved to Washington back in the mid 80s, you know, Jack Kent Cook was the owner and I've never seen fans so rabidly supportive of their local team. So I I get it that, you know, they had this thing that they loved so much and, and all of a sudden, you know, they they didn't love it as much and over whatever it was, 20 years. And now now they have a chance to go back in. So I'm happy for the fans, really. Yeah, and and you and I both know Ted Leonsis, who is the local owner of, uh, yeah. of several franchises, the WNBA, NBA, and NHL. And uh, I used to joke with Ted that the smartest thing he ever did was have Dan Snyder as his local competition, ha ha ha, <laughs> because you know he was beloved simply in many ways. Well, he's a great owner in my opinion, but also just comparing to to Snyder, he looked you know he looked like a saint. But now I think it's probably good for the whole marketplace. Speaking of the DMV as a marketplace, to have robust ownership that really cares about the franchise. Yeah, I mean you're buddies with Ted. I mean, were you surprised that he didn't bid or wasn't a finalist or wasn't part of the group? So um, yes, the, the short answer is yes. Although you know you heard whispers and oh Ted's thinking about it and all this stuff and. Uh, I, I didn't, I did not reach out to Ted personally about it. I mean, you, you and I both would, would, would know Ted and would see him. I, I, my personal opinion is, and I have no idea is that, um, the concentration in one market, which by the way, uh, Josh Harris does not have, he's in Philly and Washington, right? right. Concentration. And, yeah. and where? New York. Oh, that's right. So yeah. the concentration the in, yeah. right. That's right. Of course. A good New Jersey boy like you should Jersey. know that. Um, so I think the concentration in one market was probably daunting uh, to Ted's monumental team. But uh, as as DMV sports fans, I'm a Baltimore fan. As you know, I'm from Baltimore. Yes. So to me, it's it's Orioles and and, uh, and Ravens. Um, we don't have hockey in Baltimore. I guess there's no ice in Baltimore. Last time I checked, but ha ha ha. But let, let's talk about the business of the DMV, uh, getting back to your role at Connectpreneur and, and Opus 8. And I, what'd you say? 1,100 companies have gone through Connectpreneur in the last, is it 10 years, right? 12, 10 years? 12 years. 12. 12 years, sorry. We're going into so, year 13, yeah. Congratulations. Um, in the last nine months, the furor around generative AI has taken over every single conversation I've been in. I would, yeah. I will bet similar to you. How is it starting to affect the kinds of companies that apply to Connectpreneur, the kinds of meetings that, that you're having? I think it's just affecting everything. It's table stakes now for investors, for presenting companies. If you're not thinking about or haven't been thinking about deploying ML and AI uh, into your core business, you're going to get your lunch eaten. I think that a lot of these guys, now the generative AI, you know, chat GPT and that, that, you know, that, that stuff is, is gotten hot over the last 12 months, but you know, a lot of the companies that I know they've been, they have been deploying machine learning and AI, not generative AI made by open AI, but right. you know, 
not chat GPT or whatever, but, but now they are, they're actually integrating with chat GPT where they can. So, uh, I think it's um, it's going to be the way cloud was, you know, 20, 15, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. You know, cloud, if you're not in the cloud, then what are you doing? You know, it just doesn't make it, it makes economic sense and competitive sense to do that. And I think AI is sort of like that, too. It's a uh, enabling technology. It's bigger. It's bigger than virtualization and cloud, I think, or as big as. Uh, so it's a pretty big, you know, shift. In well, I, I, I think it's really important the distinction you made between AI and ML and generative AI. And yeah, I, I think right. for our listeners, I would argue you should always try to draw a line between what the company is saying they're doing. So, you know, ch choose a company. It could be a parking lot company. It could be, you know, a restaurant chain or whatever. But using traditional AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning to make their operations go more smoothly, to find customers more efficiently, to offer pricing that is more you know, profitable, mm -hmm. whatever, versus generative AI, where right. you know they write your term paper. Um, right. I, I, I think that difference is kind of being lost in the conversation, don't you? Yeah, it is being lost because I think people like to simple explanations for complicated things. So if you look at if someone's been shopping on Amazon for the last 10 years and they're familiar with recommendation engines and gee, Mark bought a book on this topic. Why is it recommending a identical topic? You know, another identical topic, another book. Um, it, that's AI. That is, they have been deploying their own machine learning algorithms for years. Generative is sort of the democratization. It lets now students, kids, teachers, parents, soccer moms, they can all use the it's a it's a large based on large language models so it's relatively simple to use if you put in the prompts right you can get a lot of answers it's almost like google on steroids it is google yeah. on steroids you know or general yeah you know, search but um yeah so i think that it's it's a making it available for everybody so anyone who's a knowledge worker is probably using it or should be using it on a daily basis well, I'm not sure, <clears throat> you know, it's funny when you, uh, I have friends in the Hollywood arena and the recent writer's strike and the pushback on writers, and we're actually, uh, this is probably going to be start to be a lightning round between you and me, Chen, but the pushback on <clears throat> the creative community to what generative AI could do to them, I think that conversation is going to go on for a long time because there's no easy answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There is an I mean, easy answer. When you closer, say, yeah. You're a lot okay. closer to that than me <laughs> yeah. and my daughter's in the entertainment world. So I mean, how long is this going to last? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I, I, I guess we'll finish this topic by quoting Elon Musk, who was just interviewed by the prime minister of Britain, who I guess is an ex-tech guy. He was in the Valley for a while, hmm. who uh, uh, Elon predicted that AI will take over all jobs. There you go. Over all time. jobs. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Let the record show that Tian Wang just shook his head uh, thoughtfully. It is radio. But yeah, all all jobs. I mean, come on. What do you think? Well, if you include bring in robotics, then he, you're going to get close, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, China but, says they're going to have rob robots in two years, right? Active robots. I mean, jeez. Yeah. Have you seen the Boston Dynamics robots? Unbelievable. The dogs, the gym. Unbelievable. The gymnastic things. I mean, it's just crazy. I know. It's Scary. unbelievable. Yeah. For those listening, uh, go to Boston Dynamics. Just Google that term. It's a company that's making, um, they're making devices that look like dogs or looks like people <laughs> that can do physical feats. I mean, jumping from box to box and balancing and sniffing out. I mean, it's just, 
it's it's mind blowing. And it, but now they're 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 still dogs and and on they're they're untrained, but they are they are amazing. So we're getting down to sort of a lightning round and our, and our final question with our guest Chen Wang, the CEO of Connectpreneur and Opus Eight. Uh, and a great friend of the show and a tremendous entrepreneur and connect a connector in the DC market. So let's, <clears throat> let's weigh the magic wand here in a sort of a, in sort of a lightning round. Where do you see venture funding and this compression on pricing going? How many months or years from now do you think there'll be an upswing and enthusiasm for round for a rounds and B rounds? Well, you know, the benefit of being a little bit older, like you and me, is that you've seen things dating back to like 1980, late 80s, when the prime rate was 20%. And then we had uh, multiple ups and downs, right? We had the uh, Russian debt crisis in 98. We had the dot-com bubble burst. We had 08 and the financial crisis. Now we have huge compression in the last year that's kind of fueled by, you know, the crashing of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. So, I mean, the good news is like, we've seen this cycle a few times, so uh, it'll come back. The question is how long, which is your question. And I don't know. I mean, that's a great, but yes, valuations will be depressed. Companies will unfortunately go out of business. It is the, you know, harsh reality of being in a capitalist system. So, you know, when times are good, they're great. And when times are bad, a lot of people will go out of business, but also a lot of great companies will come up. You know, Amazon was founded in the crash of the dot-com bubble, right? Or it wasn't, but it was, you know, but Uber was founded after um, the financial, you know, 08. So, or around then, you know, so yeah, I think uh, it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs too, I would say, and it's a huge opportunity for investors, whether you're yeah. a credit investor or you're an equity investor, it's a tremendous opportunity. So we're well, seeing, they, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, they always say Phoenix rises from the ashes. You can't have a Phoenix without ashes, right? So there has to be, has to be some negative, but listen, I said lightning round and I meant it. We only have a couple of minutes left and we ask every sure. guest, as you know, Tien, at the end of the show, if you rule the world, uh, what would you start happening that isn't, or what would you stop happening that 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 is? You've had some great answers in the past. What say you, sir? I still believe uh, in the power of meditation. So, if there were a dictator in the world, I hope she or he would make everybody meditate for ten minutes a day. I think we people would be a lot more conscious, a lot more self-aware, a lot more caring, and less warlike, and there would be more prosperity and peace in the world. So I'm sticking with the same answer I gave you last time. <laughs> well, it's it's a hell of an answer. And and the the adjectives that you put around that suggestion on the outcomes are extremely compelling. And I know it's meant a lot in your productivity and oh, your business yeah. career. It saved my life, basically. Boy, it's beyond business. It just makes you a better person, better human being, more relaxed, more calm, more thoughtful. You know, it's it's really been a save a lifesaver for me. And also a lot of other people I know who have a daily meditation practice, it's worked wonders for them as well. Well, being with you is my form of meditation, Chan, just so you know, <laughs> having having a conversation with you is very, very, uh, is very helpful and puts me at, puts me at peace. Our guest, Tian Wang, CEO of Opus 8 and founder and CEO of Connectpreneur here on What's Working in Washington. Tian, thank you so much for being with us. It's a real pleasure, Mark. Always great to see you. Happy holidays. Same to you. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.